Welcome to Point of Insanity Game Studios Geekery in General podcast. Uh, my name is Al, and with me, my co-host, Steve. How are you guys doing? And the last episode, we talked about board games, which, for the most part, was just an excuse for Steve and I to reminisce about one of our favorite hobbies from childhood. Today, though, we're going to be getting into more of a role-playing game-related topic, one that, again, hopefully is be more of the our thought-provoking topics, and that is going to be the topic of alignments. And, of course, a lot of people are probably familiar with the alignment system from Dungeons & Dragons and the way that it has changed, uh, including the classic nine alignment system, which we'll certainly get into. Uh, we'll also talk about some other uh, games we've played, both role-playing games and video games that uh, also had kind of an alignment system as well. So, uh, Steve. Yeah. Uh, let's start with basic D&D. Let's go old school. Uh, do you have, did you ever play much basic D&D, or did you pretty much get in just when it was uh, advanced? Yeah, I think I really started getting into it when it was in the advanced stages. It's pretty much you when uh, you started getting the old ones that I started learning some of the predecessor to the advanced D&D. Yeah, because the basic D&D, Dungeons & Dragons, or original Dungeons & Dragons, whatever you want to call it, uh, it actually only had three alignments, and from what I understand, the, okay, well, first, the three alignments were lawful, neutral, and chaotic, so it was implied that, well, first of all, if your character was lawful, it meant that you had respect for uh, tradition, society, you know, laws, government, and it was kind of the default good alignment. Uh, chaotic characters were more interested in their own self-interests, so that was seen as kind of the default evil alignment. And then, of course, neutral characters could go either way. And from what I understand, the part of the, the inspiration for this lawful, neutral, chaotic, it was, I believe it was supposed to be based on the works of Michael Moorcock, because uh, I believe Gary Gygax was heavily influenced by his writings, though I myself yeah. haven't read the books. Have you read any yeah, of I think it also added, uh, besides Michael, this of Powell Anderson. Yeah, and the I think there's also a little bit of Tolkien influence in there as well, where it was more of this implied that there needs to be this balance between the forces of order, which would be law, and entropy. Now, the, my experience is that some people do find that or did find that alignment system a little difficult to work with uh, because, you know, again, there wasn't that, that moral component. There was just that social aspect that was there. And then let's go next to the D&D um, alignment system that I think most people are familiar with. I was there through, they did it a little bit in basic, but for the most part, basic stood with the lawful, neutral, evil, I'm sorry, uh, lawful, neutral, chaotic. Uh, then, of course, first edition, second edition, third edition, and then they recently brought it back for fifth edition. That's a classic nine alignments. So first at the top of the classic nine alignments, we had lawful good. Now. Yeah. As far as the alignments go, did you ever play many lawful good characters? I think the only time I really played any lawful good was the one time I had to play a NPC character that was a Paladin. It's the only time I really played any lawful good type of character. Yeah, lawful goods, you know, deal with, you know, a nation that would consider to be well-organized government that works for the benefits of its citizen. Yeah, and the, we're going to refer a little bit to the uh, Wikipedia um, because they do have uh, some good brief examples of the alignments, but uh, they also give some examples from the 3.5 source book, The Complete Scoundrel, 
Um, now, I don't know why they would cover alignments in that, but uh, did you ever get that book, or are you familiar with Complete Scoundrel? No, pretty much. Uh, I ha haven't really gotten a lot of D&D &D books, but I've just been keeping up, you know, from talking with you and a few of my friends. The, but the Complete Scoundrel does give examples for what they think the uh, different alignments would be, or, you know, I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. Uh, it, the book gives uh, examples of some characters that they believe represent good uh, examples of that particular alignment, which, of course, lawful good is the examples they give are Batman, Dick Tracy, and Indiana Indeed. Jones. Um, your thoughts on that? The only one I had a question mark about was Batman. I didn't quite see him as a lawful good because, you know, Batman was basically a vigilante. Yeah, and that I can, I can definitely agree with you on because um, the I always saw him more as chaotic good. Uh, if, any, if you have Netflix, um, you know, watch uh, Justice, the Justice League cartoon and Justice League Unlimited because that one definitely plays more on the chaotic good aspects of Batman, because he even says, I don't play well with others. Uh, let's move on to the new one, the next one, Neutral Good. Yep, that's the one that I mostly like playing. And what are some of the things that you've liked about that particular alignment? Well, pretty much uh, Neutral Good, that in the way I figure it out, out as, you know, they they follow law when it suits them, such or you know dealing with tradition, they'll do it, you know, and they'll not really be, you know, fight it as much, you know, try and break the laws and whatnot. But they'll be respectful to uh, other people. Yeah, and that's what I always liked about neutral good as too, where they had they have a little more flexibility than a, a lawful good character. Um, I always see it as, you know, they're happy to work within the law, but they don't have any problems with bending the rules every now and then uh, if the, you know, if the situation calls for it. Exactly. And uh, Complete Scoundrel gave Zorro and Spider-Man as uh, examples of neutral good. Uh, your thoughts on those? Well, since I'm probably more familiar with Zorro than you are, because Zorro basically came around dealing with, you know, the corruption in his uh, city that I lived in, you know, back in the early 1800s, uh, Los Angeles, you know, having all these corrupt officials and stuff. And he was basically just going around dry, trying to basically balance out the corruption that was going through even though he was as how they say a bandit but he had the good of the people in his heart when it came to whatever he did and spider-man uh the other example here which i could see spider-man as being uh neutral good again because he does try to work he work tries to work with the law but technically he does work outside of it because he's not an officer of the law. Uh, he just, well, he's a he's a crime fighter. Yep. So how the law people would call him a vigilante. Mm -hmm. Can you think of any other characters in? I know they only give two examples here, but can you think of any other good examples of neutral good characters that maybe you've encountered in fiction? Uh off the top of my head, I can't quite think of that money. Yeah, because there is one character that I can see fitting as neutral good. Uh, if you have you are you familiar familiar with the cartoon series Transformers Prime? No, that's one series I haven't gotten around to seeing. Well, it's on Netflix, so definitely take a look at it if you have a chance. There's a character on there, Bulkhead, who he would fit neutral good. And just to give you a little bit of background, in Transformers fiction, there is a group within the Autobots called the Wreckers. And the Wreckers were kind of like the black ops of the Autobots. They took on the difficult missions where 
the chance of success was low, but the chance of casualties were high, and they would work outside the regular Autobot chain of command. Now, in Transformers Prime, one of the things you learn about Bulkhead is he used to be a wrecker, and then he joined Team Prime on Earth. And later in the series, you do meet uh, Wheeljack. Now, if you've ever seen the Generation 1 Transformers, uh, Wheeljack in Transformers Prime, quite different, looks pretty similar, but instead of being the nerdy inventor type, uh, well, Transformers Prime Wheeljack is a sword-wielding badass, uh, <laughs> and he is more chaotic good. In some of the episodes where uh, Wheeljack appears, he has this conflict where he wants to work he wants to follow, he wants to work within the rules of, you know, that Optimus Prime is laid out. And of course, Optimus Prime is usually uh, given as a good example of being lawful good. Um, and then he's got his good friend Wheeljack, on the other hand, who tries to pull him towards doing things outside of the normal chain of command. So again, it's like he has Optimus Prime sitting on one sh shoulder, which tells him, you know, work within the chain of command, work within the hierarchy. But on the other shoulder, he's got Wheeljack telling him, no, we got to, you know, we're doing this our way because we're wreckers. We don't call for backup. We call for cleanup. But anyways, I digress. But yeah, if you ever, if you ever have a chance to see Transformers Prime, Bulkhead uh, is a pretty good example of a neutral good character. So this brings us to what I think can be a really fun alignment to play. Uh, we've already referred to it a few, many times so far, and that is Chaotic Good. Uh, was this one alignment that you played? Did you ever play a lot of Chaotic Good characters? or? Uh, I played a couple Chaotic Good. I basically based it on, on you know, because back before I saw the uh, Complete Scoundrel, which I could agree, I basically based Chaotic Good as a Robin Hood type of character. Yep. He could break laws and do everything, but the results of him breaking the law, he would go out and help the people. Exactly. And in his case, uh, Chaotic Good characters are, you know, they're good for campaigns where the, uh, where the, the main antagonist is some sort of corrupt bureaucracy or uh, corrupt government. And I think even in second edition, they may have referred to, they may have given Robin Hood as a good example of uh, a chaotic good character. But let's see this next one on the list. Malcolm Reynolds. And, uh, Wikipedia explains chaotic good. They have a disdain versus bureaucratic organizations. And what's the biggest problem that Malcolm Reynolds <laughs> had, Firefly? The Alliance organization. Yep, he's... Excellent example of chaotic good as I can think. Um, yeah, I mean, let's say, what was his motto? I aim to misbehave. <laughs> yep. But, and that's where one of the things that I always thought was interesting about Malcolm uh, Reynolds is, yeah, he's a scoundrel, but he has heart. Uh, like if you, of course, you remember the episode, The Train Job. Uh, they were hired by a crime lord to steal cargo from a train. But then they find out that the cargo they stole was medicine that was heading towards an isolated mining town that desperately needed this medicine. And this is again where Malcolm's chaotic nature and his good nature are become apparent. Yeah, he broke the laws, but then he tried to atone for his actions, but because he realized that, well, you know, he knew he was going to go under great personal risks by crossing this crime lord but he still went and returned the the medicine anyway because it was the right thing to do this brings us to the next alignment the first of the neutral alignments yeah the lawful neutral yep and one of the best examples that i've you know they've given i know in second edition was and i think even first edition you know the soldier who never disobeys orders um or uh, the judge or a police officer who obeys the letter of the law. Um, so these are again, 
you know, in order to enforce strict laws to maintain a social order. Exactly, because the way I've always seen it is if you're talking about societies, a lawful good society tries to guarantee equality and fairness, whereas in a neutral good, a lawful neutral society, the primary concern is to promote, try to promote equality, but not necessarily fairness. You're more concerned about keeping the status quo, keeping things in order than making sure everyone has uh, fair and equal opportunities. The examples they give. James you know, Bond and Odysseus. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, not because I remember Odysseus, he was from Greek mythology. I think, wasn't he the, uh, yeah, the Odyssey or? Yep. He's the one that tried to get back to his family and it took like decades because he, apparently he pissed off the gods and they <laughs> kept uh, throwing challenges at him before he finally was able to get home. Yeah, I'm a little rusty on my Greek mythology, but James Bond, uh, not too, um, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a huge James Bond fan. I mean, I could see it because in a way he's kind of like the operative from Serenity where because one of the quotes from the operative is, you know, he does recognize that he is doing bad things, but he's do, he's not doing them out of malice. He's doing them out of a concern for the alliance and for keeping the social order. Uh, next, we get to the alignment in the center of all things, true neutral, which sounds better, I think, than neutral neutral. Yep. <laughs> which... I don't know. I always found that this is probably one of the more difficult alignments to play. What about you? Well, I've played it once just to see if I could. But pretty much the only thing I, I could do in dealing with that was the one time I played a druid. And the only thing I, I knew how to play as a true neutral was the only thing I was concerned about was making sure my forest was safe. Yeah. And no matter who was attacking, I attacked. Whether they, it was, you know, the good king army or these evil orcs. If they went and attacked my forest, I attacked them. Yeah, and the thing about true neutral is I, I've always found it's, it can take on different meanings depending on the type of game you're playing. Uh, like with fantasy. Um, in a fantasy setting, the way I've always seen true, someone who's neutral true neutral, they would see things in terms of, okay, we're letting this event happen, tip the scales too much in favor of law, chaos, good or evil. But if you try to apply that to like a more modern setting, I think it could be more problematic because at least in the modern day role-playing games I've seen, there's not really that underlying concept of you know, everything being, having, you know, there's not really this underlying concept of cosmic forces of good, evil, law, and chaos. Uh, that's something I think is pretty much unique to Dungeons and Dragons and works best in D&D. Um, so I guess I've always seen it as one of, true neutral as one of those people who, again, they try to see the sides of all things and they'll act whatever is going to be the best in that situation they usually will put their own needs before the needs of others, but they still have the potential to do altruistic or selfless acts. Uh, again, the example, um, Han Solo in his early appearance in A New Hope. Yeah, I could see him being true neutral in that particular case. What about yeah, because basically the only thing he was concerned about was staying alive and uh, making money. Laura Croft. Either. But Laura Croft. Yeah, I can see her as true neutral. How so? Because, I mean, I, I've i never really played the Tomb Raiders. The only thing I know about Laura Croft is from the first uh, Tomb Raider movie. Well, from the few times I played uh, the Tomb Raider series, she was basically dealing with, you know, hunting down certain items, dealing with... Uh, you know, these other people that were out to get things. Basically, she was just doing what she wanted to do. 
Okay, well, any any other good examples of characters you can think for uh, for true neutral? Uh, if uh, the one example I can think of, if you remember that one Nicolas Cage movie, The Gods of War, or something like that, basically he didn't care who was getting the things. The only thing he was concerned about was making a profit. Yep. So if if you've got the cash, I've got the noisemakers, huh? Yep. And this brings us to chaotic neutral. First off, again, the complete scoundrel gives Captain Jack Sparrow, as from the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, perfect example of chaotic neutral. I, I consider chaotic neutral kind of hard to play myself. I totally agree with you that uh, chaotic neutral can be difficult to play. When I, we were in high school, there was a group of people in Waukesha. I think you've said it in a few, a couple of our sessions, but yeah, when I had the time, yeah, there, there was one character, one player there who he liked to play chaotic neutral characters, and I think his problem was he played cat. I and I've seen this happen at game conventions as well. People use some people use chaotic neutral as an excuse to be evil without actually being evil. Which is why I think the Captain Jack Sparrow is actually a really good example because when you watch the movies, you see he's unpredictable, but he's not always mischievous. They're opportunists, but they don't, they usually try to avoid killing if they, you know, if it's not required. And next we get into the three, the biggie, the evil alignments. Lawful evil. Which is that one? In, you know, it's pretty much uh, they have a set beliefs on how they want things to do, and they follow that their law laws that they pick for themselves. It's just that their means might not be real good. Yeah, and I I think the I know D and D is usually described um, like tyrants or dictators as good examples of lawful evil. And I can see that because usually in a, in a lawful evil society, order is kept by knowing who's below you on the social ladder and who's above you. And as long as you're falling into your place and doing what you know the, the, the law or the government is asking you, you know, you should be okay. Basically kiss the right person's butt and you probably will live a little longer. So while or if they do things, you know, they ask questions like, "Will I get caught?" and "How does this benefit me?" Yeah, and in the second edition, uh, AD and D handbook, uh, another example they gave of lawful evil is these are the kind of people who they prefer a lawful society because a lawful society is easier to manipulate. You know, if you got some influence, you get the right laws passed where you got those loopholes that you know how to work around. Um, Magneto, yeah, I could definitely see him as being lawful evil. Uh, Boba Fett, yeah, I could see He's a bounty hunter. He followed the rules of the bounty hunter. Yeah, he's, like I said, he's not going after, he's not going around killing people necessarily because of spite because it's business yep any other uh, examples you can think of lawful evil characters no i think those two are pretty much uh, good examples for people to understand yeah and i would also see again going back to transformers i'm a big transformers fan megatron in you know his classic generation one incarnation in the transformers prime incarnation i could see him as lawful evil as well because he expects order to be kept within his ranks so this brings us to the next one neutral evil often i've heard that they uh that law neutral evil is usually uh regarded as the most dangerous of the evil characters because they have no problem working with they're kind of like the perverse of the neutral good character. They have no problems working within the system. They have absolutely no problems 
breaking the law, they're the kind of person that'll shake your hand with his right hand while stabbing you in the back with the left. Biggest one would be Mystique from the X-Men. Yeah, I could I could see her as uh, as neutral evil, um, especially from the, well, the TSR, uh, they released a Marvel superheroes role-playing game back in the day. And they had a series called uh, Nightmares of Future Past, which for any of you long-term, long-time X-Men fans out there, it was a pretty famous story arc. And of course, it was the basis for uh, the most recent X-Men movie. And the in the, the the material for this modules, they do give they did they say that Mystique was was partly responsible for the uh, for the Sentinels because she knew she could outlast this, but by allowing this Sentinel program to take effect, it could potentially rid the world of people who were threats to her. See, then they also give the example Sawyer from Lost. I don't know. It's been a while since I've seen those episodes, but I can somewhat see because he, he's basically the one, if I'm remembering the correct character here now, he was the one that when they first crashed, he acquired a lot of people's luggage and held on to it going, these are mine now. And this brings us to Chaotic Evil. Your thoughts on Chaotic Evil? Well, from what I know, most people, when they first think of that, they think Chaotic Evil is like the devil incarnated. You know, they're the serial killers, the mass murderers type of deal. I've always seen and described Chaotic Evil as the lowest of the low. Um, they would be the people that are totally without redeeming virtue chaotic evil according to the what they describe nowadays it's just people that have no respect for rules doesn't care what other people think you know the only thing that they believe in is anything for their own desires which are typically selfish and maybe cruel yeah and the another way i've heard people describe chaotic evil is the ends justify the means so then, of course, uh, when 4th edition D&D came out, they kind of simplified it to the five alignments, uh, lawful good, good, unaligned, new, um, evil, and chaotic evil. Uh, your thoughts on that? Well, I can't quite help you much because uh, I really didn't get into 4th edition. Yeah. Once I started losing interest in 3rd edition because it, I grew up on, you know, basic and second edition. And when third edition came out, you know, it was like, man, they're totally taking away what I'm used to. Mm -hmm. And when fourth came out, you know, talking to the people that did get in, they're like, man, they just totally got away with from D&D. This isn't what D&D is. Yeah. And I, I, I agree with you. I never got into fourth edition. I've played it a couple times because I've, was at a friend's house and they were playing with it. Um, didn't really win me over, but I didn't agree with the alignments simplification because, well, okay, they had good, okay, the lawful good and chaotic evil. I could see how they did that as getting the polar opposites. And, you know, they were what we were used to. Good, well, I could see neutral good and chaotic good being similar enough where they could be classified as the same. Could uh, see it a little bit with evil, not too much, but the whole unaligned thing, essentially, at least the way I understand it, essentially that would be saying that lawful neutral, true neutral, and chaotic neutral are similar enough where they can all be lumped into one alignment. I... I don't know. I just totally disagree with that. How about you? Yeah, I would have to agree with you on that because, you know, lumping, you know, all the little morale compass people, you know, depending on where your morale thinks as one whole group, that's cutting it, you know, basically on a thin line of, yeah, this is what you, you guys are going to be. 
Yeah. So, of course, Dungeons & Dragons isn't the only game out there that has uh, alignment, which if you really want to define alignment, it would be how, you know, guidelines for how your character would react. Uh, there have been, you know, many other games have had their own take on, uh, on rewarding characters who do good deeds while, you know, punishing evil. Uh, one example I can think that had kind of a little different take on alignments, Rifts. Uh, have you ever played Rifts or read any of the source material? I've done a little bit of Rifts, but it's been a while. Yeah, and my, my knowledge of Rifts is pretty rusty, so uh, forgive me if, I, if anyone out there is a hardcore Rifts fan. Forgive me if I don't, if I don't get this correct, but I believe the, the way Rifts handles alignments is they had uh, three different types. Uh, principled, which would, be which would be equivalent to good. Uh, unprincipled, which would be similar to neutral. And then I think the other one was selfish alignments, which would be uh, similar to evil. I think it was, uh, you know, if I remember that, they had seven core alignments. You know, principled, which is one of the good. Scrupulous. Or if I'm pronouncing it correctly. Yeah, scrupulous. Yeah, that's somewhat good. Then you got unprincipled and anarchist, which is more of the selfish. You got the miscreant or miscreant and aberrant and diabolic are the evil. So yeah, okay, yeah, I do remember. Yeah, I do remember the other titles you were mentioning for the alignments. Um, I yeah, I just. I thought they were in three broad groups, but I guess I may be wrong on that just because it's been so long since I've uh, read. If you go the broad, yeah, it would be good, selfish, and evil. Mm -hmm. But then mm -hmm. it brings in, like, the uh, other axis of it, okay. and then it brings in, you know, good can be split into, you know, principled to scrupulous, you know, selfish into unprincipled and anarchist, and so on and so forth. Okay, and then... Um, other another game that uh, I thought had an interesting way of rewarding players for doing good deeds. It wasn't really much of an alignment systems, but it did definitely encourage certain types of behavior. And that was uh, again Marvel superheroes. They had karma points that you earned. Now karma points functioned kind of like experience points and kind of like action points. You could use karma to manipulate your roles, but you could also use karma to improve your abilities and your powers. And the way karma worked is it encouraged good acts because whenever your character did something heroic, like you know rescuing a child from a burning building, uh, turning over a criminal to the police, stopping a bank robbery, stopping a violent crime, uh, whatnot, you gained uh, karma. However, if your characters uh, did something, you know, did something bad like vandalizing property or committing an a crime, uh, like you know, murder. Or, well, murder was different. We'll get to that. But doing something like assault, burglary, robbery, uh, destruction of property, you lost Thanks. karma. Finally, breaking the laws there. Yeah, so you basically, if you broke the law, you you know you lost karma, and to that extent, I think Marvel superheroes really captured the essence of the superhero genre, because your characters were discouraged from killing. If you killed another living person, you lost all your karma. So that would make it tough to play a character like a Wolverine or the Punisher who in D&D &D terms would probably be chaotic good, uh, you know, those types of characters, they have less problems killing than, say, someone like Spider-Man or Captain America. Uh, like, you know, yeah, again, I think Captain America would be more lawful good. Oh, yeah, I could definitely see him as lawful good. But, yeah, like Spider-Man, you know, he generally doesn't kill people. He's going to... You know, he's going to tie up the criminal in webs and leave him there for the police to find. Uh, Punisher, he's the kind of person, he's probably not going to have much karma on hand because 
He's the kind of hero who's going to shoot you full of bullet holes so the cops can take you to the morgue the next day. Yep. So, again, that was one of the things I thought was kind of interesting. It wasn't really alignment per se, but it did it did kind of force care players into doing uh, certain actions. Um, any other alignment, any other uh, interesting alignment? Well, that'd be more because uh, dealing with a few of the latest uh, Star Wars video games, like using the example Knights of the Old Republic, mm-hmm. a lot of it is dependent upon your choices, which is more your morale on how you want to play. Are you going to be the goody-goody, or are you going to be the one that, hey, I don't care what the hell happens? Yeah, and that's, of, of the Star Wars games I played where it gives you, like, a choice between light side and dark side, Knights of the Old Republic nailed it. Because, again, it shows the progress towards the light side or the dark side as being very gradual. Whereas other games I've played, like The Force Unleashed and Jedi Knight 2 Jedi Academy, you know, you don't get to make that light or dark choice until near the end of the game, so it's very abrupt. Um, another game that I understand, that I think is kind of does the same thing as Knights of the Old Republic did, Mass Effect. Um, have you ever played any of the Mass Effect games? No. Yeah. I didn't get around to it. Yeah, I've never played them. I have a friend named Scott who is a huge fan of, uh, or at least a pretty big fan of them as far as I know. Um, but when it's a couple times when I've hung out with him, he's played, uh, you know, I've seen him play Mass Effect. And you have a choice to be either the Paragon or the Renegade. Because uh, it's sim- very similar to Knights of the Old Republic, where when you are discussing things with, with NPCs, you get different options. And if you are kind, polite, uh, treat your companions with respect, you're going to gain light side points. Or in the case of Mass Effect, you're going to move towards the Paragon. Whereas if you uh, treat your companions rude poorly, insult them, bring you know, put them down, or do bad, you know, evil things, then you start to move towards the Renegade. That's my understanding of it anyway. So I'm mean, like I said, yeah, I've... that seems about what I've heard of it too. Because other examples of that type is also the Fable series mm-hmm. and Dragon Age. Okay, so how does I've never played Dragon Age? So how did it work in? Uh, how does that work in Dragon Age? Well, depending on uh, what Dragon Age, a lot of it they deal with either friendship or rivalry or you know love or hatred type of deal. If uh, you do things where a certain character has certain morales and whatever you do is against it, they pick up a few hate points towards you because basically it all depends on your party party's view on you. And if you do things that they support or they like, you get, you know, friendship points type of deal with it. Now, was Dragon Age, was it a video game or was it a role-playing game? Like a pencil-paper game? I think it started out as a video game, but it got so popular that there is a RPG role-playing game out okay. on it. Yeah, that's that's cool how you describe it. And, um Again, Knights of the Old Republic 2, the Sith Lords did something kind of similar to the, you know, the hate and, you know, and like points where, and I, I love, this is one of the things I loved about Knights of the Old Republic 2. They had an influence system, again, where some of your companions respected uh, acts of kindness, where others, you know, respected acts of cruelty. And it had an interesting effect on gameplay because when you got your uh, certain companions to a certain influence level, they could, you know, they some of them, you know, might become Jedi, or they might uh, gain, they might give you, it would give you different options in, in gameplay. So I thought that was kind of cool. That was one of the things I really liked about uh, Knights of the Old Republic too. Other than their different means of... Uh... Updating weaponry, other than 
yeah, you can add this piece, this piece, and that piece. Yeah, and uh, okay, I I know we're getting a little off topic, but hey, Knights of the Old Republic was a good video game series, so let's talk a little bit about it for no apparent reason. Um, <laughs> yeah, because the again, I love so which since we're off topic here, which Knights of the Old Republic did you like better? Did you like best? Well, needless to say, I would have to say they both had their good points and they both had their bad points. The uh, first one it was. A great storyline. Second one, it could have did a little bit better on the storyline. Because I know on the second one, they had dealt with, you know, how you can specialize your weaponry better. Vice the first one where it's only, okay, you can add this, this, and that, and that's pretty much it. Well, this is no fun because we're pretty much in agreement there. Um, yeah, I, I fully agree with you. I mean, I... Number two had better character customization options uh, because more, you know, most of your equipment you find could be upgraded. And as I said, I did like the influence system. But yeah, number two, its plot felt forced um, because there were times where you felt like you really didn't have much, as much freedom as you had in the plot of the first one. And, you know, again, we, any, anyone who's played both uh, Knights of the Old Republic games probably knows that. Knights of the Old Republic 2 was rushed, so there were, it wasn't finished. Uh, clearly, there was stuff that was left out. Like, if you were playing with HK-47, and for those who don't know, he's basically an assassin. He's kind of like a, he's a protocol droid like C-3PO, except he also has secret assassination protocols. So imagine, uh, imagine C-3PO as a wisecracking assassin. But yep. there's a subplot where someone was making clones of HK-47, and supposedly there was going to be a, par a, a subplot where you would find this factory and just, you know, do something there. But that never, unfortunately, that never made it in. Um, and in, I think it was the Nar Shada level, there were parts of the map that you could see, but there was, like, no apparent way to get there. So again, I think there was probably stuff that was put in there, just you wouldn't be able to get over there unless you hacked the game. Yep. So, well, now that we've talked a little bit about different how different game systems have handled alignments, let's bring up our thought-provoking question of this episode. Are alignments really necessary? And do you think they help or hinder role-playing? Well, I would have to say, I would have to go with helps. It helps, you know, flesh out what type of character you're playing with. You know, where you can give it its own personality type of deal. You know, if you just had a normal character and you didn't have an alignment, you know, you're pretty much playing with a droid. Yeah, pretty much you'd be kind of, like in D&D &D terms, you'd be pretty much true neutral, I guess. And, um, I mean, I can definitely see how they are they can be a useful tool because it represents an ideal that your character can strive towards, which I guess if you, you know, the way we covered the alignments, lawful good would probably be the hardest um, ideal to strive for because, again, you're trying to work for a society based on fairness, compassion, and equality. That's a lot of hard work. Um, I don't think there have been many governments in the history of the world that have really reached that point. And on the other hand, well, chaotic evil, which, as I described before, I've always seen as the lowest of the low. Uh, that would be something that wouldn't really be hard to strive for, because if you're chaotic evil, it means you don't give a darn about anyone and you will do whatever you, you do, whatever you want to whoever you want. Or as one bumper sticker says, chaotic evil means never having to say I'm sorry. Yep. So all in all, you would say it helps? I would say it probably helps. It personally, personally for me, it, it gives you the ability to give a personality to your character. Yeah, and the that's one of the things I do like about how you know good, neutral, and evil are breaking broken into these three points. Yeah, I know we're being D&D-centric, but hey, we're 
both of us are D and D nerds, so go figure. We're old school. Yeah, we're old school. Um, which again is another thing. Speaking of uh, like third edition, it was a decent system, but I've been a lot. I've been a hardcore fan of Ranger characters. I personally don't like how uh, the third edition took away, and I think fourth editions as well. I'm not sure about fifth edition. I picked up the handbook for fifth edition, but I haven't had a chance to really go through with a fine tooth comb yet. But Rangers no longer have the, the restriction of having to be good. And as a hardcore Ranger fan, I guess that kind of bothered me because I could, I guess I could kind of see a neutral Ranger, but I couldn't see an evil Ranger. Uh, the essence of a Ranger is your, you devote yourself to, to protecting the wilderness and protecting others. So why would someone who put, usually puts their needs in front of others, why would they try to protect a bunch of trees when those trees can't really, you know, pay them back? But yeah. that's, that's just my, that's just my opinion. Like I said, maybe I'm just an, Maybe I'm just too old school for my own good. <laughs> a little biased on uh, the Rangers. Yep. Um, but I mean, I could see how some some alignments, or, I'm sorry, some classes in D&D, like they mentioned the Bard. Bard has to be partially neutral. And I will, did you ever, how did, how did you feel about that particular alignment restriction? Well, since I really didn't play any Bards, you know, I pretty much didn't play any going with the D&D theme here. I didn't really play any, with much detail, any classes that had alignment restrictions. But, you know, restricting alignments on certain things makes, you know, it kind of hard to play a class that maybe the guy really wanted to play, but that, like I said, the personality he wanted to give that particular character wouldn't mesh with the rules. Mm -hmm. And I guess the way I always thought that the partially neutral alignment made sense is since bards, as presented in D&D, are essentially entertainers, diplomats, and negotiators. Spy. Yeah. Uh, in situations like that, you do have to be a little more flexible. Um, I mean, I guess I would say like a comedian, you know, yeah, you don't want to... You know, if you base your humor um, at too much of an extreme, then, well, you risk alienating other people who might not listen to your, you know, your your act or, you know, buy tickets to your shows. I don't know if that makes sense or not. Yeah. And could definitely see bar or um, Druids having to be true neutral because, you know, again, they believe in the balance of nature, so that would be pretty important to them. Um, Paladins, I could definitely see having to be lawful good, but uh, I think in, like, 4th edition and 5th edition they have Paladins, they removed that restriction, where I think they were trying to make it so that Paladins are representative of a certain ideal as opposed to being the knight in shining armor. Yeah. Because it's kind of hard to be a true, lawful, good Paladin. Oh, yeah. I mean, I can... Sometimes, because that's the thing I know in the Dragon Age thing, your choices dictates whether it is, and sometimes it it be conflicting on your choices, where it's like, okay, I'm the lawful good. My choices are I go to this village, this city, to stop this invasion, or... You know, right about when you get there, you get word that, hey, your invasion force split off and it's now attacking your home base. Mm -hmm. What's your choice? Because lawful good, you know, they're, I must obey the law and stuff. And I was told I got to go defend this city. Yeah. If I defend this city, I am leaving my home base open for an attack. Yeah. So it's that whole conflict of duty. And um, that's why, again, I've always thought that you know, lawful good would probably be one of the, the, the harder alignments to play because you are bound by the rules of society and you try to apply them in a way that's uh, compassionate and fair. So, well, we 
yeah, kind of far, kind of a little longer than our last episode. So it's about time to close up for the day. So uh, any closing thoughts, Steve? Well, basically alignment is where your preference lies. What do you feel you need to do with your character? You know, how do you want your character to behave? What do you want your character to be doing? Mm -hmm. Basically yeah. up to you on how you want to lay out your life of your character to give it some life. Yeah, and, you know, again, I've also thought it is something that should be, that is important in uh, the development of characters because, you know, it gives you an ideal that your character strives for and it helps, it, it can help your role play because, like, let's say you are a lawful good character and your party wants to do something kind of devious to accomplish their goals, well, it can sometimes be a little challenge to find a way to compensate you know the call the desire to obey the law with the desire to help your friends which is where mutual good characters are have an advantage because hey yeah i'll work within the law if i can if i must but break the law if i need to <laughs> so well we hope you found our uh this episode uh enlightening entertaining hope you enjoyed it so uh don't forget Check out the website, poigamestudio.com, and also look up Point of Insanity Game Studio on Facebook. Have a good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Or morning or afternoon. Yeah, that, you're listening. Yeah, that could be like our, uh, our catchphrase for the end. Uh, have a good evening or morning or afternoon or whatever it is, wherever you are. And as always, happy gaming.